verses 7 through 10. And it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we just thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, God. Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, as we go into your word, Lord, that our hearts will be open, that our minds will be attentive, and that, Father, we'll not only hear your word audibly, but, Lord, that we'll take it in. We'll let it saturate our hearts and change our lives. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Let me just move some stuff here real quick. Title of this morning's message is Thy Kingdom Come. I know this is a familiar passage. You know what's amazing is uh, I have taught on prayer, I have preached on prayer, and still yet feel like I've barely scratched the surface of what prayer really is and honestly how it works. We know that God has a plan. We know that he knows what we need before we ever speak it, but still yet he invites us to come into his presence and to make our needs known to him. Part of that is an acknowledgement that he is where all good things come, but that he allows us into his presence and there we can pour our heart before him. Not only that, in his presence, our heart can be changed. Amen. And so it's, we see in the scriptures a couple different times where Jesus talked about the disciples came and asked him to teach us how to pray. And so we know the Lord's Prayer is something that we've grown up reciting how often have we said the Lord's Prayer. But this morning I just want to look at just one specific part of that prayer. When Jesus started his prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's something that the Jews did understand because they would not dare utter the name of God because they were so respectful of his name and to them it was Yahweh that even when they wrote it, they would leave out the vowels because they didn't feel worthy to speak or write his name. Oh, what it would be to go back to a time where people were so mindful and respectful of who God is that they would not utter his name especially in the ways we hear it used on a daily basis. But to know how marvelous and how majestic He is, to not come across in such a way in which we want to bring Him down to our level, when we want to ask questions like, well, if God is God, then how come? The fact is, is God is God. And there are things that we're not going to know, but who are we to even ask Him? Why did you do this? He did it because he's God. He allows it because he's God and he knows what we don't. But he's given us a glimpse, folks, of victory. We know that victory is for every believer. That we will live victorious over sin and evil because of what Jesus did on the cross. So if you know that you're going to win then do you have to know every play before the game even begins? It's like, going, Coach, Coach, what, what plays are we playing? Coach, why, how come you call them that play? Instead, imagine a coach telling you, listen, it does not matter if you just follow my instructions. I promise, 100% guarantee victory. Done. That's what God has promised us today. He didn't say he was going to explain every play. He didn't say he was going to let us know exactly what the play was. He just says, follow my instruction, and I guarantee a victory. That is something, folks, that the world cannot give. But if you don't think that they want it, 
Take a walk into Borders Books one time and go to the self-help section. And see if you don't find book after book. Bestsellers of people trying to find out how to get ahead in the game of life. But in today's society, we don't even have to go to Borders Books anymore. We see it today with the clearing of the shelves in all of the stores. The people are running scared and they don't have answers. And they want them and they want hope and they don't see it in anything the world has to offer. But Jesus in this prayer not only acknowledges the beauty, the majesty, the sovereignty of God. But then he says, your kingdom come. Man, that is something that I've been chewing on for weeks and weeks. And then what's happened in our lives with, with Sal's health has just done nothing more, but, but make me think about it that much more. What does it mean for thy kingdom come? You see, the problem is a lot of times when we think of thy kingdom come, we're thinking about when Jesus comes back to get the church. And if that's what we think thy kingdom come means, we're missing the entire point. You see, the fact is Jesus came down. God came down and, and clothed himself in flesh so that his kingdom would be here and it's here now in the hearts of every believer. That is the kingdom, thy kingdom come is not something that we wait for later. Thy kingdom come is something we participate in now. Jesus said in Luke 17, verses 20 through 21, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus is saying, listen, I have brought the kingdom. I am here. And I've established the kingdom here. You see, up until now, think about Israel has been a nation. Israel has been a people group. Israel had been a, its own country, if you will. And, and we see it starting when, 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 when God led them out of Egypt and through the desert. And he established Israel and gave them a land. And he was, their, he, was, he was the government. They lived under what's called a theocracy. In other words, God laid down the law for how they were to live. But Jesus said that I come not to establish a kingdom now that you can see that has already passed. You've seen what that looks like. And even in that kingdom, you could not follow my rules and commands. You consistently went out and started worshiping other gods or other things. But I come to establish a kingdom that's not a, not a, a land or not just a single group. But I come to establish a kingdom thereby that all of those who will call me Lord are a part of the kingdom... And God's kingdom exists on every country and on every bit of land, amen, where there are believers who call him Lord. His kingdom doesn't span one country or one continent, but his kingdom is established in the entire world. God's kingdom. He says it's right here in front of you. It isn't a place or a nation as it once was. It's a worldwide group of people who have surrendered their heart to God as the eternal, perfect, supreme King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, God's kingdom is not about money or pride or accumulated wealth or power. God's kingdom is of heavenly origin, and it is above and over all earthly kingdoms and governments. We've got to understand what the kingdom of God is and what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. We don't pray God's kingdom come like it's going to be somewhere else or at another time. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done because that's the key part of being in his kingdom is living God's will. When we live out God's will, we are in the kingdom and we can carry the kingdom to all four corners of the earth. Chris was talking about having those moments to, to mention Jesus. A lot of people are like, man, I miss, the, I miss the good old days, the old-fashioned. Listen, I don't miss those days. It, it was so great, then why is the church in decline? Answer me that, Batman. By the way, old preachers don't like it when you say that. 
I found that out the hard way. I found it was so good, how come it didn't last? Because people continued to live in such a way that was inconsistent with being a citizen of the kingdom and did not hold the kingdom as supreme and the most important thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we are in his kingdom when we do his will and live out our purpose in him, and that becomes the number one thing for us. You see, we live in a time now where it seems, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't mean to be political. I don't care if I'm stepping on your political affiliations or whatever. I'm not trumping any part, trumping any part. That's <laughs> Got to use that word differently these days, don't we? I can't say that anymore. I'm not touting one party over another. You know what's interesting is, is when we look at what's going on in the world today, we were so heavily divided. You know what the problem is that I find? That my heart identifies, now listen to the whole message. My heart identifies with the liberals in that they seem to care about helping people who are disenfranchised and the less fortunate. But yet we see the established morality and the laws and the sanctity of life play out on the right. And so part of me identifies with, with things on the right because I believe in the sanctity of life. And I believe life starts at conception. And I believe that we ought to do right by people, but I also believe that we need to love people and those who have been kept in the fray. And so I find myself politically confused when it comes to, to this world's government. But there's no confusion about what's important to God and His kingdom. You see, a lot of the world today is, it, it has, has adopted this belief that we can somehow sell out the morals as long as the, you know, like the ends justify the means, if you will. We'll call out other people for their hypocrisy, but yet we will stand firm in ours. The ends do not justify the means. We can't say that because we're getting the result we want, because we're, because we're getting things like uh, 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 conservative supreme justice and all this, we can't say that because we're getting some of the things that we have longed for, that we're okay with the rest, because that's just not biblical, folks. We've got to call out that which is wrong, and the ends cannot justify the means. Not in God's kingdom. But you see, that's what seems to be happening in, in the movement of, of people who call themselves Christ followers. I had somebody tell me not too long ago that, that they, had a, 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 they knew someone and had a family member that, that practiced an alternate lifestyle, if you will. And that they told them that, uh, I told them, I love you. And you're welcome here anytime you want. But your partner's not. Because that's just wrong and I take a stand here. Okay. I get it. But then how come you let another family member come in with a the person they're living with? In fornication. How come it's okay for that partner to come in and sit at your table? Is that not hypocrisy? Is that not wrong? What would you do, Pastor? I invite all of them to sit at mine. Why? Jesus went and hung with the publicans. The Pharisees chastised him for it. I don't accept those lifestyles as being biblical. 
I don't accept those lifestyles as being right. And people know that, but I will love you and I will put my arms around you. As long as you'll come into my presence, I'm going to love you like Jesus would and let the Holy Spirit do his job. The Holy Spirit's job, as we have learned several weeks ago, is to convict. That's not my role. If you ask me what I believe, I will share it with you, but I will share it with you seasoned with grace. Why? Because that's what the scriptures show. But we have to understand that, that this kingdom that we're a part of, as we follow God, as we call him Lord, as we recognize him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we've got to understand what this kingdom looks like and what its citizens look like. And we'll start this week and we'll probably finish up next week. Because if I keep you here when I get through all these notes, you will miss dinner. I didn't say lunch. I said dinner. Turn your books, turn your books, turn your Bibles. Man, I, this is what happens when you don't preach for three weeks. You get, right? get tongue-tied and twisted and everything else. Turn your Bibles to me, with me to, to John chapter 18. Can we turn there together? I think it's important that we understand this established kingdom that Jesus talks about and, and, and how we are to act and not act. In John chapter 18, verse, starting at verse 33, we, we know this scripture. You've seen this. We look at it every, uh, every year when it comes around the Resurrection Sunday time, right? I don't like the word Easter. You guys know that. I don't like it because of the origin of the word itself. I like Resurrection Sunday. And so as we get close to the time that we recognize and we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, uh, we read this scripture. This is when Jesus is standing before Pilate. And in verse 33 it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of, or the king of Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say this about me? Pilate answers, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, now listen, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus had already told him, I am truth. And every word that he utters is truth. The Bible is truth. When people say, you know, how do I know what's real and what's not real? Go to the Word. But if you notice, Jesus said that, listen, if I was of this world, my guys would have come to you and, ar and armed. My, my guys would have had swords and they, would, they have, would have fought off. And there was one who tried, wasn't there? You know the story of Jesus in Gethsemane? When they come to get him, Peter broke out a sword. And Peter lopped his guy's ear off. I don't know if you, I like Peter. Don't you? I like Peter because, man, I, he's my kind of guy. He pulled a sword out and chopped a guy's ear off. you got to love that. Amen. I like gangster movies. By the way, that's probably not a good thing. Because it celebrates a lot of things that God's not happy with as well. Amen. I'll be honest with you, you can't condemn Brokeback Mountain and then go watch Scarface and be okay with it. Let that one rest on you for a little while. Some of y'all are like, what is, trust me. Just trust me on this one. But imagine Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter and, and tells him, stop this. Or this is, this is not how it's going to go. And he reaches down and he picks that ear back up. And he puts it back on the guy and heals him. Think about that for a minute. 
Because Jesus is telling us that it's not with guns that we need to protect him. It's not, we, it's not those kind of things. You see that we're fighting against something much deeper than flesh. We look at flesh as the problem. Flesh is something that we fight within ourselves. But listen to this. People are not the problem. Let me ask you this. You know how you go to eyeglass, the eye doctor, especially when you're like blind as a bat like I am, and you need new glasses because your eyes are getting worse, and so then they, they, they dial that thing, click, 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 right? One or two. One or two. Two. One or two. One. Okay. Click, click. One or two. Two. Right? Anybody else just hate that because they're right there in your grill, too? And I'm like, and your nose always itches when they're right there. Because like, you don't want to go do this while they're like, you know. By the way, you don't want somebody to shake your hand. That's a good way to do it. I mean, this day and age, all you got to do is this. People go screaming. By the way, I did post something the other day. It did happen. I took a coffin fit in Food Line. And people scrambled like cockroaches when you turn the lights on. I mean, I, I, I got sinus drainage. You know how it gets you congested when your sinuses are draining. I ain't got the corona or any other, you know, Michelob, I don't know, whatever virus it is. I ain't got it. But boy, you, they thought I did. I took the hack and people just spread out everywhere. Now I'm walking down there like, I ain't got it. I don't have it. Just a sinus drainage. They didn't believe me because they were still pointing at me. We well, Sal's just Sal's oblivious to this. She was in a different aisle, and we're walking. I just see people. Look at, West Virginia ain't got no known cases because we don't have the test. That's why. That's the first time being in a poor state's a good thing, amen. But you know they do one and two on the eyeglass thing. I'm getting back to my story. So I'm gonna give you a one or two scenario. Which would have a greater impact in this world? Killing Saddam Hussein or winning him to Christ? You tell me. Tell me what would have a greater impact. Putting someone to death? Or winning their heart over to Christ. What does the kingdom and the king of the kingdom say that we're to do? Because if we're going to be in the kingdom, then we've got to start living as citizens of the kingdom according to the kingdom rules and the kingdom ways. Our citizenship in this country does require a certain amount of loyalty. But I do want to say that patriotism to America is not our worship to God. Our Savior is not an earthly person of any kind. And by the way, nothing in this earthly kingdom ought to separate the people of God's kingdom. Are you, are, listen, can I, let's get real for a second. Nothing in this earthly kingdom should separate those who are of God's kingdom. Because God's ways are right. And the problem is, is in this world, we, we, we continue to argue, and if you haven't seen now, people don't know how to have a disagreement. People don't know how to disagree and walk away friends. Is if you don't agree with my way, then we got to part ways. That's the way it's coming. Or if you don't agree with my way, now all of a sudden anger's involved and we're at each other's throats. Listen, that is not what a citizen of God's kingdom does. It doesn't mean that we have to kowtow and say that someone's right. It doesn't mean we have to accept their way as the right way. But listen, the thing is, is we need to love them beyond their faults. Love them beyond their outlook. Love them even beyond their views. Because that's what citizens of the kingdom do. 
I think things like a president calling for a day of prayer, I think it's absolutely good. But you know what else is good? A call to repentance. An admission of sin. And asking for forgiveness. That's also, well, how about we call a day of that? The problem is, is a lot of people right here praying. But when the Bible is very clear that God hears the prayers of his people. A lot of people are just uttering words because if they are not followers of Christ, then their prayers are just words spoken. The Bible is very clear about that. God hears the prayers of his people. Those who call him Lord, not only in word, but in lifestyle. Jesus didn't say that we weren't to be good citizens of this country. Matter of fact, I think he made it clear to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22, verses 17 through 21. Matthew 22, 17 through 21. It says this, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. As long as we are citizens on this earth and we belong to some country, we're living somewhere, we are to be good citizens. Matter of fact, you read on through the New Testament, you'll see that you're, we're to obey the laws of the land. And we're to obey the leadership and the laws that have been set forth until the laws are passed that would require us to go against God. And in those cases, we are to resist. And we see that played out in the early church. Read through the book of Acts. By the way, another good companion book is Fox's Book of Martyrs. Go read that. And you'll see that those that resisted, resisted so not with a sword. They resisted and allowed themselves to, to be handed over. Why? Because that's God's way. Now, I'm not telling you that if someone comes in and invades your house that for not to defend yourself. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, is being a citizen of God's kingdom has got to be first. Because in Matthew chapter 6, this is exactly what he tells us. Verses 31 through 33, says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. This means that we are citizens of God's kingdom first. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be citizens of His kingdom. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Then we're to love our spouses, our children, our family and friends. And we're to love and celebrate a country where we can freely worship. There is nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with being a patriot as long as that doesn't become our priority to the point that we will allow things of God to be trashed in order to remain a patriot. That is when patriotism is wrong. It's actually referred to as nationalism. When the nation that we live in here trumps the nation where we will spend eternity. God has clearly said that his kingdom is first. And his kingdom and his ways govern all that we do. I don't need the law in West Virginia to tell me to obey it. God tells me in his word. I don't need them to tell me not to steal. I don't need them to tell me not to murder. Why? Because God has already told me in his words not to do those things. But we also must realize that just because, just because the Supreme Court or anybody else says something is right doesn't make it right if the Bible says it is wrong. A lot of people say the Bible needs to get with the times. The Bible is the time. Amen. By the way, citizens of God's kingdom don't have to worry about eating or physical needs, do we? God knows what we need and he promises them to provide them to us. 
You see, we can't buy into the mass hysteria that's going today. We can't start hoarding. Why? Because we don't need to. Matter of fact, uh, a tendency to do so it really shows a distrust or a lack of trust in God to provide our needs. We see it going on and, and people are hoarding because they're selfish because they want to get to make sure that they're taken care of and they could care less about you and that's just not God's ways. I never thought we could use toilet paper for evangelism, but I think we can today. I've seen, I've seen Christian groups go and hand out waters at events. I'm telling you, you get a case of TP and start handing that out one roll at a time, God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. <laughs> Amen. Right, listen, if we're going to give out toilet paper, don't you give that rough stuff out. Don't you give that public school toilet paper out. You know that's like just one grit underneath sandpaper? You know, you got your 240 grit sandpaper, then you got your 250 school toilet paper. Never thought we'd be able to use it for evangelism, but I think we can now. Why? I don't need to hoard these things. Why? Because God promised he'd take care of us. You see, as citizens of his kingdom, we need to conduct ourselves like we trust him. Because if we're telling people we trust him, but then yet with our actions do not, our actions always speak louder than the words. Always. If I was to look at you and you asked me a question... And, and I look at you, and I say, no. Which one are you going to believe? By the way, think about doing that. Try to shake your head one way opposite of what you say. It's harder than you think. Right? Some of y'all are try you're like, you're trying to, you're like, I saw some of your heads move. You were like. Next thing you know, you're going to be doing this. <laughs> what did you all learn at church? I learned how to say no, but shake my head yes at the same time. It's amazing. Our actions always speak louder. But I love, I love the psalmist. I've loved this verse from the very first time I've ever heard it. And I heard it as a kid. It's Psalms 37, 25. It's one of my absolute favorite. It says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. We don't have to worry about these things. Mass hysteria should not be in the heart of a believer. We should not participate in that. Why? Because we don't need to. Now listen, the Bible, God also gave us common sense. Right? And things like taking precaution. Listen, I don't care before the coronavirus came out, I did not want to shake hands with somebody that had the flu. Why? Because that's just common sense. That's just common sense. We don't need to ignore common sense, but we do need to ignore that which goes over the line. But not only do we need to ignore that in the sense of ignoring it by not falling prey to it, we need, as Christians, to start speaking out on it in a way, not just through sarcasm, which sarcasm is great, I use it all the time, right? But in a way that will actually help people stop and listen and ask them, where is their hope? Where is their trust in an almighty God who's able to provide all of our needs? If his kingdom is not of this world, then we must realize that the people of this world are not his enemy. You see, it's the enemy that captures the hearts of people and ensnares them in their own desires. That's what temptation does to us, doesn't it? Right? It takes our own heart's desires. And we get caught up in those things. We all have desires that are not godly. We have to understand that. Paul talked about fighting the flesh in many different passages in his letters to, in the New Testament to these churches. He talked about fighting against his flesh and how miserable that was. We all have desires that are ungodly. But we must suppress them and knowing that, listen, sometimes we will feel incomplete in this world. We all have desires Right now, this world is saying that whatever you desire in your heart, that that is what you need to do. And the fact is, the Bible says the complete opposite. 
But the world does it in a very hypocritical way. The world says that what you desire to be and what do you think you are inside, that's what you need to live out. That's why we're especially seeing things revolving around alternate lifestyles and, and, and uh, you know, orient, sexual orientation and all those things are really coming out because people say, well, whatever, you know, I feel like I'm a, I, I feel like I'm a woman trapped inside. And people will feel that. Listen, does that mean, those, does that mean they, they don't feel that? No. They probably do, absolutely do feel that. But what do you feel like trapped inside sometimes? You ever thought about that? What is it that's, that's trapped in you? I don't feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. But sometimes I feel like a murderer inside a Christian body. doesn't necessarily mean I want to take your life from you. But you know, you can kill people with words. You can kill their spirit. That's why Jesus said, right? That the law says, thou shalt not kill. But I'm telling you, if you call somebody a fool, that you're in danger of hell fire. What does that mean? There are more, one, more than one way to kill someone. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a player trapped in a Christian's body. Y'all know what I'm saying? Huh? Come on now. Y'all know what I'm saying. Got my sunglasses on so nobody sees where I'm looking. Y'all know what I'm saying? I tried to get prescription sunglasses with them wraparound things. And Sal said, uh-uh. You ain't hiding them eyes from me, pal. You're not going to go down to the beach and put them Oakleys on. So people can't see where you are looking. You don't know what I'm saying? Sometimes I'm a player wrapped up in a Christian body. You don't know what I mean? Why, why can't we understand this concept? And then realize is that we are citizens of God's kingdom, but yet we're living on this earth until time, until God says that our time here is done. But we look at these people who are actually having these, these real they're having real struggles. And we want to dismiss them like that's the dumbest thing. We, listen, don't, don't, don't dismiss their, their struggle. We help them understand that the decision they made on how to deal with that struggle has been made in a way that's inconsistent with God's word. Because we think it's stupid that someone may struggle of feeling like they're of the opposite sex, but yet we struggle with the desire for things like adultery or acting out in our anger or taking something that isn't ours. Sometimes we're a thief trapped in a Christian's body. And it may not be that you want to take something that's from me, but you might want to take something that doesn't belong to you, whether it be on your taxes, whether it be at work, whether it's not living up to an obligation because the obligation is going to cost you more than you thought. All of that is stealing. Right? So how can we dismiss? You see, we need to understand what the attitude of a citizen of God's kingdom is. And how we're to act and think. Things that we're supposed to do. So that we may truly win people's hearts because right now it seems like satan is winning a lot more hearts to his cause than we are winning in the christ cause we got to quit looking at people as the problem and we also need to start looking in such a way that actually shows that we have empathy for them while i may not struggle with the very thing that they're struggling with i know what it's like to struggle i know what it's like to actually allow my flesh to take over and sin because instead of fleeing from the temptation, I thought I, was, I thought I was strong enough to handle it. You ever done that? Oh, I can handle this. I can be in the room with this person alone, or I can be left alone with these things. Listen, when we know that we have a struggle, the Bible says that we're to flee that temptation, we're to resist. I mean, flee Satan and his snares, but we're to resist that temptation. And part of that resistance is making sure that we don't allow ourselves to be in a position or in a place 
that would be easy for me to fall to the desires of my flesh. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The only flesh we wrestle with is our own. But our enemies out here is not the flesh. I wrestle against mine. My flesh is my enemy. And that's, that's how this is referring to. When it says that, that, that we don't wrestle with the flesh, it's talking about is that our, our issue isn't other people. Our issue is the fact is that Satan is running rampant, the Bible says, like, just you know, like a tiger ready to prey on, on folks who, who fall to the desires of their heart. And Satan's winning them over. And we've got to realize that it's the evil forces that are the enemy and that we are to love people. Now, people may be doing things that hurt us. They may be doing things that are absolutely evil. And they may be doing all just all manner of ungodliness, but realize that they're still not the enemy. The only flesh that I need to wrestle with is my own. I don't need to wrestle with you or anybody else. The problem is, is that evil is at work. So instead of seeing people as a problem, if we realize that, that, that their problem is not because of them specifically, but the fact that they've allowed the, the evil forces of the world to influence them into doing that which is evil, but we've got to realize is that, listen, that person could just as easily believe in Christ and allow Christ to influence their heart if someone were to tell them about him. Right? As part of the kingdom, we got to realize this, how do we grow the kingdom? And, 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 and so, like, when we do sales, right? So I do, you know, I'm in the HVAC distribution world, and Chris is in it, and, and he does sales. And so what, what, is, what do you do with sales? You go to people that are using one brand and then you tell them the benefits of using this brand and while this brand would actually be better for them to be using in all the programs that we have and all these other things to convince them. Now listen, I'm not saying you've got to sell Jesus Christ, but you've got to offer him, amen? You've got to offer it. We gotta tell them that there's a better way. When we see them captivated in their mess, instead of just looking at them and being judgmental, say, look at that person. I mean, listen, the division that we have now in this country is just amazing. It's unreal. I've never seen it so divided. At least in my lifetime. I'm sure there's other people in their lifetimes, they said the same exact thing. Especially when we go back and we look at the, you know, uh, uh, the freedom marches and things like this and, and how, how, much, how much prayer and how much suffering it took for people to have to fight for the rights that should have already been given them when we look at segregation and things that this, this country's gone through. I find it amazing as Sal and I was, was listening to an interview with Dr. Martin uh, Luther uh, King. And, and, and it was amazing listening to him. And, and this, this, this interview was like one of the last ones he gave before he was killed. Uh, it was amazing to listen to him talk about the things. And then we started thinking back, you know, about how many people said that they were of the kingdom, but yet endorsed the terrible treatment of other people just because of the color of their skin. Listen, we can't fall to that. Now it may not be segregation, may not be the issue, but yet if we're not careful, I've still heard a lot of people who say that they're of the kingdom talk so bad about other people because of what they're doing instead of trying to win them to Christ. Endorsing things that we hadn't already endorsing. If we're citizens of the kingdom. So I'm going to start giving you some things about citizens of the kingdom. And we'll finish up next Sunday. So I want you to turn your Bibles and we're going to stay here for a while. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You know Matthew chapter 5, right? It's the it's Sermon on the Mount. And the, the Beatitudes. I asked somebody, asked me one time, says, what's a beautitude? I'm like, what in the name of Jehoshaphat are you talking about? A beautitude. 
And they're like, you know, Matthew chapter 5, the beautitudes. I'm like, oh, that's the beatitude. Sal's laughing. She ain't supposed to laugh. One of them stitches is going to pop her. Them staples. Hope it don't hit me. We're going to find through here. By the way, I'm a very loving husband, but I'm about as honorary as the day is long. And so I know that it hurts to laugh. And so every now and then I'll say something stupid just to see her giggle and go, heal. Heal. Now she's like, stop. Matthew chapter 1. Now, listen, do you ever look at verse 1 of this? I think verse 1, people kind of skip over this. This shows such an intimate moment. When we talk about Sermon on the Mount, how many of you guys envision Jesus standing up on the rock? Everybody down here, okay, hear ye, hear ye. And then give the beautitudes. You know what I'm saying? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I, I, I thought Sermon on the Mount, I, I think of that, right? Jesus standing up there, might even have himself a little pulpit made out of something. He was a carpenter. Standing up there, getting ready to deliver his keynote message. That's not what happened at all. Let's look at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. That's a much different picture, isn't it? Instead of Jesus standing up here, hear ye, hear ye. He sat down. And they came up to him. You see, he's delivering the Sermon on the Mount, not to the masses. He's delivered it to his disciples. Telling them what citizens of his kingdom look like. and How they're to act. But let's cover these. I know you're already counting them, thinking, good, grief. We're not stopping at chapter 5 either, by the way. Verse 2 says, And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, here's the number one thing. Citizens of God's kingdom should realize they are spiritually bankrupt and need God. You see, the more I come to that realization that I'm spiritually bankrupt and I need God, it puts me on a level playing field with all the other people that I tend to look down my nose at them. When I realize that I'm spiritually bankrupt, I no longer look at the drug addict who's hovering over in the corner and is homeless, and all they're doing trying to do is beg money so they can go get another whatever it is that you name the poison. It makes me look at them much differently. You see, when I realize that I am spiritually bankrupt, I look at that person and say, that could just as easily be me. Heroin may have not been my choice drug, but there were some others. By the way, you have yours too. It may not be a drug, it may not be alcohol, but you probably got something that you struggle with. Your poison may be different. Maybe your poison's climbing the, the corporate ladder and have to be over and just chasing that dream. And the only thing that you think is going to make you happy is getting that. I lived there. That was one of my poisons. I wasn't going to be happy until I owned my own company. But let me tell you where it got me. It got my family tore up. It caused a lot of problems in my home because that's not what God wanted for me. Maybe your poison's anger. Whatever the case may be, you see, citizens of God's kingdom are always reminded and they're always mindful of the fact that I came to him with nothing to offer and that sin is ugly and it's a mess and I came to him as just a muddy mess. I was, David said, out of a miry clay, he picked me up, set my feet on a rock and established my going. I want you to know I was in the miry clay. I was as muddy as muddy could get. That person that you see over there that's trying to sell anything and everything they can to get their money on their next fix, yeah, they're muddy, but don't forget you was muddy too. By the way, I found something interesting. So last week when Sal was down at the hospital at Mercy, uh, the 15th floor, Pam knows that floor very well, 15th floor is a cancer floor. We were walking around. Uh, I ain't going to tell them why we was walking. But Sal and I was walking around, right? And we was walking around the nurse's station and we was making laps, right? And it dawned on me. Everyone we passed in that hospital gown 
had cancer. I want to talk about humble you. We weren't the only ones going through it. So I wasn't the only one recouping from surgery. You see, those other people needed us the same kind of care Sal needed. And all of a sudden, I just it just like a light switch flipped in my mind that we're not the only one. These other people had to hear the same bad news that we heard or they wouldn't be here. They sat at, this, at a doctor just like we did and heard that awful word come up. They had to tell their family members just like we had to. They had to tell their friends just like we had to. They had to contemplate their mortality like we had to. But then I'm, I'm driving home that night and the next day somebody called me from work and I was a little agitated because this person was being a little relentless and needed help and I just couldn't help him right now and I wasn't in the right frame of mind to help him. And I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't very nice. And in my mind, it's like, if they only knew what I was going through right now, they wouldn't have acted like that. Well, let that eat on you for a little bit. I had to call them back and apologize. Because maybe they're going through exactly what I'm going through. Maybe they're going through something worse. Maybe what they're going through is a lot worse. And now I start to think about those things. When I start to talk to people, I'm like, if I'm sitting here dealing with this and I feel the pressures of it, and if I'm here and, and I'm concerned about my wife, maybe the guy I'm talking to, maybe he's got the same concerns for his wife. And it starts to make you look at people differently. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that they are spiritually bankrupt. That they have nothing to offer God to bargain with. And when I realize that I am absolutely destitute and bankrupt before God, then I will start treating people differently because they are no more bankrupt. Than I. Listen, when you're bankrupt, you're bankrupt. You understand what I mean? When you're broke, you're broke. Other people are broke. And they'll have to come to God in their brokenness just like I did. Just like you did. Citizens of the kingdom, remember that I came with nothing to offer. And that sin defaces and makes us ugly. And we are a muddy mess. And so when I look in the world and I see people, I see people that are a muddy mess just like I was. And the hope that I found in Jesus is the same hope they need. And who's to say that if they are told about that hope and they accept that hope in Christ that they couldn't be the one up on a pulpit preaching someday just like I am now. Thank God for those who tell us about Jesus. Number, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, I already did that one. I was getting ready to hammer that down again, boy. Mm. Number four. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Think about what this is saying. This is not about mourning loss over like a loved one dying. This is about mourning because we see ourselves for who we are. So the previous verse was about being poor in spirit. Now it's about mourning over it. You see, citizens should recognize and admit to and mourn over their sin. That's the opposite of what the, the kingdom on earth is doing. The kingdom on earth is deny or find somebody else to blame it on. You deny it until they find a YouTube video where you said it or where you did it. 
And so you deny it until you can't deny it no more. And somebody comes up with digital evidence. And then the world says, okay, I can't deny it, but I'll find an excuse for it and somebody to blame it on. That's not what kingdom of, of God's citizens do. Citizens of the kingdom of God, we accept it, we own it. We ask God to forgive us and any other person that we hurt in that process. And we mourn it. You see, Jesus is saying that when you finally see yourself as who you are, it's going to break your own heart. But when your heart's broken, know that I'll be the one comforting you. Because when you finally realize that you're broken and you're undone, that's when you realize you need me. And I'll be there to wrap my arms around you. But that's not just in coming to Christ upon salvation. That's in our walk as we walk with him until we go home to be with him. You see, the fact is, is we're not perfect. And along the way, we're still going to screw up. But when we screw up, we just don't stop and say, well, my salvation's gone. That's not how it works. Jesus is saying, not only will I comfort you when you realize who you are, but when you walk along the way, you're going to realize you're going to need comfort often. You're going to need that comfort. Jesus told Peter that Satan had asked for permission to sift him like wheat. He says, but when it's over, strengthen the brother. You know what he's telling Peter? You're going to fail, but know that I love you and know that I haven't changed my mind about you. You're still a leader. And so when it's over, get to it. Don't let it stop you. When they run into Jesus at the tomb, what did he say? Go tell my disciples and Peter, meet me. That was letting Peter know that, yeah, you may have denied me a few times, but you're still mine. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Citizens of this kingdom are to be sweet, gentle, and mild-mannered. Sweet, gentle, and mild-mannered. Now, this doesn't mean you've got to change your personality. Personality is who it is. But in our actions, we need to be sweet, gentle, and mild-mannered. Think about that. Just that alone can make a difference. You ever seen that person that's got their scowl on their face? Look like they've been eating prunes all day and they're holding something in? You know what I mean? Look like they can't wait to get to a bathroom. I love running into them people. Try being sweet to them one time see what happens. There was this lady who used to answer the phones... It was uh, the owner of a company. Uh, it was his wife. And uh, I made the mistake of calling her sir one time. Well, she sounded like a heat. I'll never forget, Garnasky heating in there, can I help you? Uh, sir, is Frank around? I'm not a sir. Well, I thought, wow. I mean, I made her real mad. She always sounded angry. So one day I knew I had to call there. I'm like, oh man, it's painful. Every time I get this woman on the phone, it's painful. She answered the phone. Gardaski, ma'am, how are you doing? Are you, are you doing all right? Are you keeping old Frank straight? I bet you have to smack him around every now and then, don't you? <laughs> She's like, ha, ha, ha. It was <laughs> what she sounded like. Ha, ha, ha. Well, we got to talking, and turns out she was a sweet person. It just sounded that way. That little sweetness goes a long way, doesn't it? It goes a long way. We're to be sweet, gentle, mild. Now, listen, we, that guys, that don't mean us big burly guys got to go around, that, you know, acting like sissies or anything. But we can be sweet and gentle and mild, too. Some of you are. Because I've had some of you send me messages over the last two weeks. Just want you to know I'm praying. I love you. That's being sweet, gentle, and mild. We're not so throw accusations out, things like that. If there's ever a comforting word, it should come from a Christian. 
And if there's a word that's going to be discouraging or mean or mean-spirited, it shouldn't come from citizens of God's kingdom. Verse 6 is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, citizens of God's kingdom love to do what's right according to God's word because it feeds their soul. That's what that means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It is the citizens of God's kingdom that ought to just be hungry to do something good. Ought to be hungry to, 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 to have an opportunity to do something good for someone, to do something that's right. We ought to love what is right. Love what is right. It ought to be what fuels us. And that's what he's saying, those who hunger. In other words, doing God's way and living God's way and doing that which is right ought to be just food for our soul. And when we get to do it, we are just feel so complete inside. You ever done something nice for somebody and just puts a little, y'all know what I mean? Just puts a little spring in your step. I'm scared to spring right here. I think that thing got worse. Good grief. I'm going to spring here one day, and I'm going to be down inside this pulpit. Y'all think, think kindly of me when I go through the floor back here. I don't know what was. I spring out here. I don't spring back here. That's scary. But, you know, it never went down when Kevin walked across there. I don't know what it is. How that works. Maybe he's just lighter on his feet than I am. I don't know. You ever do something good for somebody? Man, it just makes you feel different. Makes you feel good. Giving back to someone. Being there for someone. Even if they don't know it was you, it just still feels good, doesn't it? It just still feels good. Me and an old high school buddy of mine, this is way back, let's see, we graduated in 1990, so this is probably back in 88, 89. Me and my buddy decided to do something good for somebody once. And it doesn't matter who or what we did. Uh, but it was at Christmas time, so we decided to, to do something to help uh, a family. And, uh, and I remember us sneaking up on the porch Christmas Eve night, right? And, uh, and, and I just remember that feeling that afterwards. We were like, man, we just felt so good. Just felt so good to do something good. And nobody knew it was us, and it didn't matter to us because it just felt good. Imagine how, how good you could feel if every day you set out to do that which is right and good. Even if nobody else knows it, you know that God sees it. Matter of fact, if they don't know it was you, you shouldn't go tell them. You, I'm, I'm not talking about stuff and facing it on, posting it on social media. I'm talking about just doing good and doing right because it's the right thing to do. It will, it will make you, it will fulfill you. It'll just, it feeds your inside. Citizens of God's kingdom it should be hungry to live that way. Hungry to do that which is right. By the way, it's been 20 some, wait a sec, 90, 2000, 2000, 30, 30, 34-year-old. Chris graduated the same year. We graduated together. Uh, boy, you're, I didn't realize how old you was. By the way, when you look in the mirror and you look like Papa Smurf with a chrome hat on, it'll make you feel old. But I talked to him a few weeks ago, and guess what he brought up? Remember that time? 30 years later. Still feels good. That's what citizens of the kingdom are supposed to do. And listen, we'll finish with this one, and we'll do the rest next week. Number seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Citizens of God's kingdoms are to show mercy to others. Why? Because we recognize what it's like to receive mercy because of what Christ has done for us in our lives. I don't know about you, but when you look out in the crowd, I don't see a lot of mercy going on these days. I see a lot of people that when we don't agree with each other, there's no mercy, there's no grace. So listen, this is a wonderful time. People talk about living, ah, man, I wish it was back in them old days. I don't. I don't think there's ever been a, good, a time like now to serve God and to show mercy. I think the world needs to see it like they've never seen it before. And I don't think there's a better time now to be living as a Christian as it is right now. 
merciful. Do we want God's kingdom to be here? Because, listen, God's kingdom exists through the hearts of those who love him and worship him and live his commandments every day. Thy kingdom come is based on thy will being done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, you have the freedom to choose today, the free will to choose whether you're going to live the kingdom or whether you're going to allow your life and its pace to be set by the world. It's time that we realize what it is to be a citizen of his kingdom and live his kingdom on earth and do his will on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven, his will is done 100% of the time. And his... In, 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 in the kingdom of heaven, where he resides, everything is absolutely perfect. And whatever he wills is done. Here, you and I, while we're on this earth, we have the free will to choose to do his will. Will we choose to do his will and let his kingdom shine through us? Or will we continue to wrestle? And make it hard for the world to see whose kingdom we really belong to. You see, a Christian ought to be able to be spotted a mile away. Why? Because we need to be different. The Bible says that we are a peculiar people. I know what you're thinking. I'm peculiar, right? You're peculiar, all right? I mean in a good way. You see, we ought to shine. We ought to take those opportunities to share Jesus like Chris talked about this morning. We need to be capitalizing on those every time instead of saying, well, I'll have another chance to tell them about Jesus. No, you have a chance right now. Take it. There may not be another chance to live his kingdom. To seek him first. To not rely on, on other people to do what we need to be doing. I know that our country has a welfare system set up, the whole nine yards, and we pay taxes. But let's just be honest, you don't pay taxes because you want to pay taxes and stay out of jail. Just because we pay taxes and our country has a welfare system, it does not negate our need to take care of those less fortunate. We can't say, well, God, you know, I paid my taxes, so all that's that box is checked off. Nope. Not how it works. Would you stand on your feet?